Have you ever needed to put down your delicious chicken taco only to find a taco holder shaped like a Tyrannosaurus Rex and thought to yourself, why'd I buy that? Then boy, do we have a show for you. It's Why'd I Buy That, the podcast where we explore and examine the impulses and influences behind the things we buy. In other words, we investigate all things advertising, the principles and pitfalls, the economics and execution, the stories and psychology behind ads, and the world of advertising. I'm your blue-eyed host, Ryan. And I am your brown-eyed host, Abe. In this episode, we're going to dive once again into cognitive biases that advertisers exploit to convince folks like you and I to buy their product. We'll wait in line for a phone, cheer for Dwight D. Eisenhower, and shave our underarms. But first, let's discuss something only cool people understand. Just when you thought you were done with cognitive biases, even though we, you know, uh, telegraphed this two episodes ago and said it would be back, we're back. Back. We warned you. Yeah. And if you recall from that earlier episode, cognitive biases are the mental shortcuts we take in our reasoning, evaluating, or remembering that results from holding on to a preference or belief even when there's contrary or contradictory information. And you weren't reading that at all. No, I wasn't. I, I know Just that. top yeah. of mind. Yeah. They're, they're shortcuts. They're, our brains are kind of lazy. We talked about this. They're, they're cognitive misers. They don't like to think too hard or too much or too frequently unless they have to. So we develop these shortcuts, and they end up getting us in trouble in some instances. And, and that's what we're talking about today. Well, since these biases are predictable and repeatable and uh, how our brains make snap judgments, advertisers love them. And we're going to talk about two more biases today that are used in everyday advertising. Yes. The first one for today is the bias known as in-group bias. As humans, we tend to show favoritism or loyalty. Yeah, if you're not a human, this not, doesn't pertain yeah, to you. Sorry, this, dogs, yeah, armadillos, whatever. Yeah, disclaimer here. Furries. If, this, if you're an android. Yeah. Please stop listening. Yeah. Uh, or you can listen, but it... it but it doesn't apply. You're not going to understand at all. Yeah. Uh, but as humans, we show favoritism or loyalty to those who are more similar to us. Which isn't to say that non-humans don't do that same thing. <laughs> right? I don't know. I mean, penguins favor each other. Maybe they do. Maybe you're, maybe you're right. This is a universal thing. Uh, but it's why, for example, people are more forgiving of a political scandal if the politician in question belongs to your political party. It's like, well, he's one of us. Yeah, if, I, so if I'm a Republican and Donald Trump does something boneheaded, I think, well, yeah, you, I mean, he's a lovable goof. It's okay. It's not a big deal. But that Hillary Clinton... She's a scumbag. She's terrible. She's the worst. Likewise, on the other side of the aisle, you, you get the reverse reaction to yeah. those scandals. Or it's why your boss might choose to hire somebody uh, based solely on the fact that they went to school together. Or yeah. we even went to the same school at wildly different generations and never right. met each other. Yes, the same Never took the modern. same classes right. or anything. It's just like, oh. Yeah, you went to Cornell? Well, I'm a Cornell fellow I, yeah, myself. That makes us similar. That makes us an in-group, and I am biased toward you. And against... Outgroups yeah. against those bums at Stanford or whatever, yeah, whatever other rival you might have. Scientists believe that the in-group bias is, uh, a, you know, an old survival mechanism from uh, the early days of human history that helped people to band together for mutual survival and progress instead of just beating each other over the heads constantly and fending for ourselves. We we joined together to form tribes and groups uh, to to be able to survive the harsh be able world. To beat we lived the in. other tribes over yeah, the head. Yeah. yeah it's, that's, that's us against them. Yep. This isn't to say that in-group bias doesn't cause problems. Also, <clears throat> racism. Or, you know, tribes bashing each other over the heads, which we already 
talked about. Right. Racism, right? Racism, yeah. <laughs> but it in-group bias is also frequently exploited by those dirty bums in marketing and advertising and uh, you and I and other folks who yes. work in the industry. Yeah. Now, here's an example of, of what in-group bias looks like in the marketing world. Uh, this was a popular campaign from just a few years ago from everyone's favorite company, Apple, the Mac and PC ads. Uh, this was, you know, designed to tout their products and to basically foster an us versus them idea among consumers. Uh, and so this is a pretty typical Mac versus PC spot where you have John Hodgman, this kind of stodgy, maybe yeah, a little, little pudgier little guy portly. as the PC, representing PC, uh-huh. and Justin Long, a white who's background. younger, ostensibly hipper, um, as, as Mac, representing Mac. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. I'm into doing fun stuff like movies, music, podcasts, stuff like that. I also do fun stuff like timesheets and spreadsheets and pie charts. Okay, uh, no, by fun I mean more in terms of, for example, it'd be kind of hard to capture a family vacation, say, with a, a, a pie chart, you know. Not true. Oh? For example, this light gray area could represent hangout time, whereas this dark gray area could represent just kicking it. Yeah, no, I feel like I was there. Mac sure sounds like the fun and hip and exciting way to be. And PC, man, that's that's who wants to be around old. that guy? That's I mean, dusty and yeah. yeah, boring. Consumers who see themselves as hip and exciting will identify, of course, with this Mac uh, guy and start to feel more loyal toward that product and brand, and maybe be antagonistic toward PC. Yeah, and conversely, if you already identify with the brand. You're then being told that you are hip and cool, maybe if you're not, maybe if you are stodgy and boring. But you own a Mac, you're like, hey, I'm cool like that. That's awesome. I'm one of these young, exciting people. You know, initially they tried to get actually Bill Gates to play the part of PC, and he... He he was he was up for it, but he demurred at the last minute. He had a, well, he had too many demands. He wanted a right. bunch of uh, like green M and M's in his trailer. He wanted not just a bowl of green M and M's. He wanted like an entire trailer filled with them, in order to do the spot. Which is weird because you think he could afford all the M and M's he wanted. But so so does this work? Does this marketing work? Does it really create an us versus them mentality? Well, if you do a search for Apple fanboy, uh, you'll find many many websites and blogs and everything uh, talking about these people who are part of the so-called cult of Apple, people who are just so fanatically devoted to Apple and their products that it's it seems creepy to everyone else. They don't eat any other fruit, in fact. They yeah. eschew bananas. They eschew blueberries. They eschew apricots. Eschew cashews. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they are eschewers of fruits other than apple. I mean, practically, there are people who have are so loyal to this brand that they have a hard time even admitting that there are faults. Oh, you know, well, no, there's a reason that they didn't, you know, add this feature to the the iPhone. Yeah. And they spend a lot of time evangelizing on behalf of Apple. They're reaching out to other people. Hey, look at at what I can do with my phone. Hey, you know. Your phone is terrible and I hate you, but my phone is amazing. Trying to get people to join their in-group. So, you know, some, to some extent, the things that they're claiming for Apple are true. I mean, obviously, there are some things Apple does better than PC. There are some features that Apple products have that are better than the competitor. So there are, there are, there's a basis in truth to some of these things, but it's exaggerated to create this us versus them loyalty thing. Here's another example of this us versus them marketing, this, this appeal to the in-group bias. Uh, and now we're flipping the tables on Apple. That's right. It's a twist in the plot line of the episode. Man. 
Didn't see this coming. You did not see this coming. This is a TV spot from Samsung that makes Apple customers look foolish. We've all read the headlines and maybe even participated in waiting outside the Apple store for the next thingamajig to be released, the next iPhone. and the next power cord, I this mean, everything. Ad, yeah, this, exactly. This ad makes fun of that. These, these Apple fanboys and girls that are waiting in line outside the Apple store. So uh, here we see a bunch of people waiting, uh, looking like mindless hipsters for this next device to come out. Yeah, and there are a couple people walking by or doing other things that are cool Samsung people. They're like, oh, I'm not waiting in line. I have this phone already. And it's better it than anything. It already does this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so here's the spot. Hey, they're saying that this phone's going to be like a precious jewel. Ooh, I love that. The headphone jack is going to be on the bottom. I heard the connector is all digital. What? What does that even mean? Who knows? I'm psyched. All I'm saying is that they should have a priority line for people who've waited five times. I heard you have to have an adapter to use the dock on the new one. Yeah, yeah, but they make the coolest adapters. Welcome back. Guess that Galaxy S3 didn't work out. No, I, I love the GS3. It's extremely awesome. I'm just saving a spot in line for someone. That's not cool. Yeah, man. This year, we're finally getting everything that we didn't get last year. Yeah. The big screen. True 4G. Yep. What is that? Hey, what'd you just do? Oh, I just sent them a playlist. By touching phones? Yep. Simple as that. It's the Galaxy S3. Hey! Hey, Mom, Dad. Oh, thanks for holding our spot. Hey, man. Oh, hey. How's it going? Saved you a spot. I moved on. But you're not going to miss all this? Uh, I got the Samsung GS3 now. Is that a Samsung? That's a new Samsung. It is. It's pretty cool. But I kind of like it. This one's 4G. Yeah, we've had that for a while. This one's got a big screen. This one has a bigger one. And we can share videos instantly. You can watch a video while you're sending an email. But we're going to get that for sure. Maybe not this time, but the next time, right? The kicker really comes in when the Samsung customer turns out to be holding a spot in line for his parents. His parents. Can you believe it? They are, they are app fun. fans. Your parents are the ones who, man, that is a real zinger on the part of and Samsung. nobody wants to be like uncool parents. Yeah. Nobody wants that. You want the opposite score, score that for your, Samsung. your parents have. Yeah, yeah I mean. Yeah, if, if if parents want an iPhone, that means it must yes, be Yes, when my parents had a, a push-button phone, I had a rotary phone. That's how opposite you are as you know, generation so to generation. Just, Abe went back a generation. Yeah, I did. I went backwards, absolutely. I'm not going to have that push-button cordless phone. Give me the rotary wired phone. That, yeah. That's what I want. Yeah, the one where you bedroom. have to I guess I pick it up and talk to the operator. As a, as a kid, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of phone calls as a youngster. This is another great example of us versus them or in-group marketing, in-group and out-of-group marketing, where you're saying, hey, you want to be with the cool kids. Yeah, either you you make your product look like it's associated with people like you. So if you're young, uh, if you're a young male, you, you direct the product marketing to sound like something a young male would enjoy and appreciate. Uh, or, you know, whatever, if you're old diagnosis murder fan, you throw Dick Van Dyke into your uh, into your spots, and 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 the people will love it. Yeah, he's got the prescription. Yeah, for happiness. Ryan, little personal sidebar. I happen to think that my Apple phone is cooler than your Samsung phone, uh, and I say this because your Samsung phone seems like it lasts about two hours before you have to recharge it. Am I wrong in that? Uh, well, no. I feel like a few a few more hours than that, but. Uh, it, Mine can go use it a for a, almost 48 hours without a charge, and it's three years old. Anyway, <laughs> Apple has endeared me 
in that way. So their advertising works. I identify with that hip Apple dude. It's, I, and, I'm, and I'm the hipper Samsung. See, I'm not the PC. You just called me out as the more exciting, more interesting. You're the stodgy parent I, I in this situation. Yeah. around on me. Well, I really need to go get in line for the next Apple phone release. Let's take a short break. When we return, we'll look at another major example of cognitive bias. And we're back with Why'd I Buy That? Talking about cognitive biases. We, uh, we talked about the in-group bias, and Abe just came back from realizing the iPhone line. Yeah, I just, Maybe a little too early for got that. Got there a little early. Yeah. A little over. But eager. our second bias for the episode is the bandwagon effect. And this is kind of related to the in-group bias in some ways. Uh, the bandwagon effect is a way in which we change our behavior to conform to the behavior of the people around us. So think about when you find yourself in a church. You're going to be more I just, likely— like, <laughs> I just happened to find myself like in a church. How did this happen? How does this keep up, happening? He wakes up every and he just, Sunday. What is this? What is this? What? Why am I here? Uh, <laughs> so if you find yourself in a church, you're going to be more likely ah, to speak nuts. quietly. It happened again. <laughs> but when you do that, uh, right, when you do find yourself there, you're going to be yeah. more likely to whisper, speak in hushed tones, behave in a more respectful way because you know that's what everyone else is doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm conforming. I, I'm blending in. I'm joining the bandwagon. I'm jumping on the bandwagon of... Hey, we're going to be we're going to be quiet. We're going to be reverent. We're going to be uh, meditative and and thoughtful. And and a lot of times you're not even going to consciously be aware of this. There's just a subconscious pull to do what everyone in your group is doing. Conversely, when I'm visiting a Renaissance fair, when I excuse me, as Ryan put it, when I find myself at a Renaissance fair, which also how Abe did this happen on a again? weekly it's basis? Saturday again. What, what's happening? Why am I here? Uh, I'm more likely to speak in archaic English and maybe brandish a sword that I've fashioned out of duct tape and cardboard. And uh, He finds himself wearing a codpiece and Speaking a Scottish accent or something, some inflection. This is peer pressure at work. Peer pressure is... Uh, is it kind of a, a manifestation of that bandwagon bias? Yeah. yeah. Advertisers love the bandwagon effect. In many ways, like I said, it's it's kind of the next step of the in-group bias. Because once you feel loyalty to a group, you're going to move with that group when it does something. So it's one thing to make you feel like part of a group. It's another to take advantage of the feeling when you're already in the group. And that's kind of the difference between in-group and bandwagon. Marketers use this in a lot of different ways. There are subtle and there are overt versions of the bandwagon appeal. But uh, for a simple example, the next time you go to McDonald's, and you see that or millions— Or just drive by. Yeah, and you see that sign that says billions and billions served on the sign. That's an example of the bandwagon effect. Yeah, there you, it makes you think, man, if billions and billions of people have eaten here, maybe I should eat there too. I've been avoiding them my whole life. Billions of people can't I be wrong. I love my body, so I don't want to you know, feed it all this sugar and MSG. Is that a thing anymore? I don't know, MSG. I don't know, but I don't think it shows up in McDonald's. Salt. Uh, yeah, but billions and billions have, have been served by McDonald's. I want to be billion and the billion and first. Political campaigns love to use the bandwagon effect because it is so easy to just persuade people to go along with it's a group. It's a strong heuristic. It yeah, plays with strong. our brain. It's hard to fight against. Yeah, and so if you want to get people to vote a certain way, you get them thinking that everyone else in their group is already voting that way. Uh, here's an example from the 50s, from the Eisenhower campaign, uh, that just it's just complete bandwagon effect, nothing else in it. It's just this animated commercial uh, that shows a bunch of elephants and people and all these things kind of dancing and marching. Yeah. Right, the elephants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously and the Republican donkeys. symbol. 
Like I said, has nothing but a bandwagon appeal. It's, it's a catchy You tune like Ike? Too. I like Ike. Everybody likes I Ike. I that. mean, are you part of everybody? Of course you are. And we all like Ike. Yeah. And we're going to take him to Washington. I mean, there's no mention of what his actual platforms might be, what his qualifications might be, or anything else. Or well, the fact that he's balding. Yeah. I mean, that's a big it's issue. A big, yeah. big I mean, obviously, back. people knew who he was. He was a successful general in World War II. Yes, but fantastic. Uh, Excellent. But, Excellent president, right? I mean, I, sure. I don't know that he needed a strong campaign. To, Not necessarily. I, and I feel like everybody kind of did like Ike. Yeah, they know, did. He was a very popular, very popular president. But at the same time, this ad is just, hey, everybody's voting for him. Let's just yeah. let's just keep doing it. Keep the momentum going. Not all bandwagon appeals are so overt. Some use a more subtle approach and latch on to a rising trend. Think of uh, when you go to the grocery store and you see more and more foods now labeled organic or gluten-free. It's a great example of this. People have become more aware of the values of food and, and nutrition and the difficulty people have digesting gluten in some instances, and brands want people to feel like everyone else already wants these products, so you're going to want it. There's a strong social pressure to eat organic for a lot of people. It's like, oh, if you're not eating organic, you're you're, 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 yeah, you're, you're not healthy. Or you, you don't, don't care, care about, about your kids yeah, or you don't care about body. the environment or whatever. So there's this sort of pressure. And so by putting the organic label on your food, you're taking advantage of those who do feel that bandwagon, that social pressure to conform to a certain standard of behavior. This sort of thing pops up a lot when a product is new because if you can convince people that it's already popular, uh, that it's already something used by their group, uh, then they'll already start buying it. Uh, you have an immediate in with consumers if you can get the bandwagon appeal going. Well, I'm feeling like I should get out there and vote. I think Ike needs me. We got to get him back in office. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll show how the bandwagon effect has changed our culture for the smoother. And we're back with Why'd I Buy That? Talking about cognitive biases, and more particular, we are still talking about the bandwagon bias. The bandwagon effect that happens that causes us to conform to social pressure. The bandwagon effect has played a major role in politics and in making some products more popular, like we've talked about. At the same time, the bandwagon effect has been actually really impactful in modern culture. And the bandwagon effect has even changed the way we perceive things. Uh, ads that have exploited this bias have made us look at the world differently than we would otherwise. For the vast majority of human history, women did not shave their armpits or legs. And why would they? Nobody thought it was weird or unpleasant, and life went on. Yeah, even throughout the 19th century, women didn't, didn't shave habitually. 
Uh, and and it was just you know that was just how people are. Nobody thought much of it. Just like if you see a guy on the beach with a with a hairy chest or armpit hair, you're not going to think much about it because there's no societal pressure to to do that to shave that. Enter the Gillette Corporation. That's right. Around the turn of the 20th century, Gillette was doing really good business with the men's market. They were selling razors. Men were shaving their faces. More beards were kind of getting out of style. Uh, they even had a contract with the U.S. military to supply razors. So they're making lots of money. Big business. Everything's going great for Gillette. Somebody at Gillette was looking at a breakdown of demographics in the world, and they realized, wait a second, only 50% of the people in the world are men who have beards. This and... was a big shock to these guys. Yeah, they were real eye-opening. He realized that women are, are people, too, and <laughs> can pose half of the population. Are, they're a huge untapped market that's not really being targeted question is, how do we get women to buy razors? Unless they have beards, there's, yeah, it's they're just, not going to need why them, Why would right? they shave? And there are only so many circus uh, women, circus beard women, circus women in the beard industry, whatever. You know what I'm talking the about. beard industry. So, yeah, how do you solve this problem? Well, if you're Gillette, you invent a problem and get women to think it's a real issue and then provide a solution to that problem all in one ad. Here is the copy for an ad from 1917 that started appearing in magazines and other places uh, that said, here, is, here it is, word for word. A gift that is new, unique, very much up to date. A beautiful addition to Milady's toilet table. And one that solves an embarrassing personal problem. Milady Decolette Gillette is welcomed by women everywhere now that a feature of good dressing and good grooming is to keep the underarm white and smooth. So that's what the ad said. Uh, and notice the end there. A feature of good dressing and good grooming is now, like, now that a feature, yeah, you know. As, as everybody knows now. Yeah, like, this, this is. We voted on this in as In our modern as society, culture, this is what we do, right? Everyone's this. We've doing updated this. this. There's a lot to unpack here. But basically, Gillette is inventing this problem. Nobody likes armpit hair and telling women that the rules of society have now changed. Yeah, so they, they did this amazing job by convincing women that everyone was so concerned about armpit hair that the only solution was to shave. And, oh, look, we just happen to have this razor that's perfect for that. How weird. Within a few short years, women had jumped on the bandwagon, and the razor companies started to branch out to an even hairier pasture, legs. Okay, so in the 1920s and into the 1930s, two-thirds of the ads in Harper's Bazaar magazine mentioned leg hair removal. So this is a magazine that many women read. It was kind of targeted toward them, but two-thirds of the ads. So every time you're reading through it, you're you know, being bombarded. Bombarded with, with hey, leg hair jump removal Jump on the stuff. bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean... The, you hairy-legged women, jump on our bandwagon. Yeah, and the reason that these ads were everywhere is because they were still trying to convince women that they needed to shave their legs. It's weird to think about today, but if you jump back just you know a couple generations, women were still getting used to the idea of shaving their legs. It worked. Fast forward to the 1960s, and here's the messaging. Legs, 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 new lady Gillette does wonderful things for your legs. New Lady Gillette, first complete feminine shaving care. Satin smooth grease shaving conditioner, Lady Gillette razor, stainless blades, luxurious aftershaving moisturizer, free tote bag too. Does wonderful things for your legs. New Lady Gillette, only $2.98. Today, the vast majority of women shave their legs and armpits and don't even stop to think about it or wonder why. Just as a hundred years ago, they did not shave their legs or armpits and didn't stop to think about it or wonder why. 
And it's amazing that that was the 1960s. This was 50, less than 50 years after that original ad convincing women to shave their armpits. Uh, by the time this ad airs in the 60s, shaving your legs is a matter of course. There's no more uh, trying to convince you to shave your legs. And no the more two-thirds of ads saying, hey, you need to up. shave your legs. Yeah, uh, it was just kind of assumed that women were going to shave their legs. And that's why we're sharing this ad is just because it, it just assumes that's the case and gives your product to do it. There's no more convincing. The bandwagon has left the building. Everyone is already on board the bandwagon and out the door into the world of shaved legs. In-group bias and bandwagon effect, they're great examples of cognitive biases. It's our, it's our brains uh, being on autopilot that really enables this. We're cognitive misers. We don't like to expend extra effort if we don't have to. We don't have to think about something. And it's easier just to conform often. That's sort of a default behavior that's common in both of these. We're going to follow the group. Yeah, and cognitive biases are extremely powerful. You start seeing a lot of articles online about everyone's listening to advertising podcasts. Oh, man, those things You might things start thinking they're a really off. big deal, yeah. Did you, did you know I have an advertising Every, podcast? Everyone is listening to advertising podcasts. Oh, they are podcasts. so hip right now. They are so big. Or you could be told that advertising podcasts are better than all the other kinds of podcasts. Yeah, you don't want to listen to those cookie podcasts or yeah, video inferior. game podcasts. Yeah, waste yeah, of time. Advertising podcasts are where it's at. And don't forget that especially hip, young, tech-savvy, cool people are the ones listening to advertising podcasts. They're pretty much the only ones. Yeah. That's our show for today. Why'd I Buy That is produced by Saxton Horn Communications. Our engineer is Justin Dial. If you have comments on today's episode, questions about advertising, ideas for future episodes, or would like to tell Ryan that writing the word organic on his shirt won't make him more popular or appealing, please visit our website at saxtonhorne.com. Until next time, we wish you hairless legs, jaunty campaign songs, and a functional Apple computer. This is Why'd I Buy That. Thank you for listening.